0: What a mass exodus with the young people, I love it, good to to see a lot of young people here. Genesis chapter 16, today is Mother's Day, just curious, who had breakfast in bed this morning? That's a few of you, okay. Did you still have eggshells in the food? That's kind of a part of that sometimes, Uh, but today we celebrate mom, she is both the evening and morning star of life. Mother has always been set on a pinnacle in our lives. I think of even our infant eyes and arms reaching up to her uh, in the very beginning, and we cling to it in manhood. We almost worship it in old age. A mother's love cannot be chilled by selfishness, cannot be daunted by danger, cannot be stifled by ingratitude. She sacrifices every comfort and loves even in disgrace. Mothers are special. Did you know that motherhood is hereditary? If your mom did not have children, you will not either. That's a scientific fact. But as I think about this special day, I think of all the things that my mother taught me, and I'm sure everybody in here could say the same. We've been taught many things by our mother. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just wash the floor My mother taught me about religion. You better pray that gets out of the carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Your mother ever said that to you? Uh, A police recruit, uh, they were, was asked during an exam, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother? Uh, That question was given as a, uh, you know, just a test to see his ethics, whether he would uphold the law or show favoritism. He said, I would call for backup." Uh. My mother taught me logic, because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me planning ahead. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. That's a hard one to do at the same time. My mother taught me about weather. Your room looks like the tornado went through it. My mother taught me about the circle of life. So did yours, so did mine. I brought you into this world, I can take you out. That's the circle of life. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me about genetics. You act just like your father. My mother taught me about my roots. Shut the door, you weren't born in a barn. And my mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. I don't know if any of you can identify with those, but I sure could. Moms, we love and appreciate you this morning. Uh, Moms go through a lot. One exasperated mother said, it's like wrestling a gorilla. You don't stop when you get tired. You stop when the gorilla gets tired. And we can probably identify with that too. A teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and what it does. Later, there was a test, and on that test was the question, my name has six letters. The first letter is M. I pick up things. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, over half the children had wrote the word mother. Uh, mother picks up things. Today we celebrate Mom. Motherhood is not easy. One person said, "If it were easy, fathers would do it, but they don't. Mothers do. It's not an easy job." Calvin and Hobbes, if you've ever seen that comic strip, had a funny one that I thought it was uh, worth repeating. He's standing. Calvin is standing by his mother's bed. And he says, hey mom, wake up, I made you a Mother's Day card. And so she takes it and reads it, and this is what she reads. I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money instead. It's awful hard to buy things with an allowance that's so small, so I guess you're lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day, there I've said it, now I'm done, so get out of bed and fix breakfast for your son. Ninety years ago, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday of May to be uh, always observed as Mother's Day. He said it was for this reason, for the public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. No nation is greater than its mothers, because the mothers are the makers of the next generation. And so we honor you and we lift you up today. If your mother is alive still today, and you still have the mother of your children by your side. Let them know just what they mean to you. And ladies, I want to just take a moment to mention this to you as well. We don't always hit a home run, but that's our desire. We want to honor you. We want to lift you up. The Bible tells us we're to dwell with our wives according to knowledge, but sometimes it's hard for us. Uh, Sometimes we miss the mark a little bit, and I hope you have patience and take that. As, uh, as you can, because I'm trying to defend the man who bought his wife exercise equipment for Mother's Day. That's all I'm doing. I'm just trying to, to, to help you to know that you take uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the thought is what counts. Amen. So I want to get it up right. I bought a book this last week to help me in this area. It might be a help to some of you. Uh, worldwide bestseller, fully reveals the shocking truth, everything men know about women. On the back, it says, famed psychologist Alan Francis, in collaboration with renowned behavioralist Cindy Cashman, has written a landmark book on men's understanding of that most complex of creatures, women. Based on years of research and interviews with thousands of men from all walks of life, they present the most complete picture ever revealed of men's knowledge of the opposite sex. It's a good book. It helps, and, and uh, I, I uh, learned a lot through it. And, and if you want to borrow it, it doesn't take long to read. I mean, it's, you know, it's an easy, easy, quick read. You can get through it in just minutes, you know. But uh, anyway, take what we offer. Amen. This morning's message is difficult because there's no mere words that come to the lips of this preacher that could make a, a deserved case for mother, do justice to mother. When we go to the Bible, we find a lot of mother examples. There was Abraham's wife Sarah, there was Rebecca, there was Rachel. Hannah, the mother of Samson, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so many more. I want to look today at a lesser-known mother that would be, I think, have some lessons for us. Now, her story is a tragic one, and it's not like, for so many of us, the tragedy that comes in our life is a result of the bad choices that we make. That was not the case for our mother today. Most of her tragedy came from the result of other people's bad choices that she bore the brunt of. And so, uh, in her story though, it's interesting, even though she dealt with a lot of heartache, we see a very clear picture of the love of a mother, and I want to point that out today. We're in Genesis chapter 16, let's look at verse number 1 as we begin. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children... She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee go into the mine maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham here hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And it went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she had saw that she had conceived, her Mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. When she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do her as it pleaseth thee. When Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain by, in the way of Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. I want to preach today on the second tier mother. The second tier mother. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes we have together here, that we would see something that be a clear message for what we need this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Genesis 16, we see the story of Hagar, a maidservant. She was a second-tier mother that in the end found solace in the Lord. The problem started when Sarai could have no children. And by the way, as I go through today, it's Abram and Sarai. Their names are changed later. If I say Abraham and Sarah, I assume you know who I'm talking about, okay? Uh, but Abram and Sarai could have no children and I at, at, to this point. Now, I'd like to look at that problem both psychologically and theologically. Psychologically for Sarah, this meant absolute devastation. Now we've talked several times in here about what it meant for ladies at that time to be barren and to have children. That was their entire world. That was their meaning in life. That was their purpose for their existence was to bear children. If you were a woman in that culture, that's what you were there for. In that culture, children were a woman's significance. If she did not have them, she was disgraced and she felt worthless. The fact that she bore no children meant that she was in tremendous despair. That's the psychological effect of it. Theologically, God had come to Abraham at least twice now. He had told him that I'm going to use you to save the world. And he said, I'm going to save the world through your family. Now, I remember here, Abraham, the first time was in his 60s, the second in his 70s. God takes him out and points him to the stars of the heavens and says that they are. that's your children. You're going to have more children than what the stars you can see right there. And Abraham has no kids. You know, to have a lot of generations following you, you need to have at least one child, amen? And to have descendants, you need to have one you can look at. And and so now they're getting up in age and they're getting older. And God has promised out of you will come a great nation. Out of that nation will come the Messiah. In fact, he went so far as to say... All the people of the world will be blessed or cursed according to how they treat your descendants. What a tremendous promise that he made to Abraham. But, and by the way, this problem made it, made it doubly devastating for Sarah. Now I'm not just letting down Abram. Now I'm not just letting down my culture. Now I'm letting down God too. Now I'm letting down the whole world. So she comes up with a plan. Uh, we read it. I pray thee, she says to him, go into my maid that I may obtain children by her. Abraham said, okay, and he did it. Now, this is unfortunate. The Bible says Abraham hearkened into the voice of his wife. You know, before this, he'd been listening to the Lord. Now he's starting to listen to his wife, and uh, bad advice, too. But as strange as that may sound to us, culturally speaking, this was not that uncommon of a practice. You see, Sarah was the matriarch of her clan, she could bring one of her servants to Abraham who could essentially take her on as a kind of second tier wife. So that's just what they did. He brought, a, uh, the Bible says she t- he took the wife, but it wasn't to the level that Sarah was. It was like a second tier thing. But he took Hagar. Hagar was her handmaiden. The Bible says Hagar was an Egyptian. They probably picked her up their time in Egypt that they had. It was a time of disobedience. And uh, they probably picked her up at that time. Well, what happened next was what to be expected. Hagar got pregnant with a son. And uh, if you look at verse 4, the Bible says her mistress was despised in her eyes. So, in other words, she became Abraham's wife, although she was like a second-tier wife. She wasn't to the level that Sarah was. Uh, she was still a slave. She was still a servant. And the child that Hagar would bear would actually belong to Sarah. You see, the th- this this uh, it's basically the the ancient ways of a surrogate child. And uh, so this is what Abraham and Sarah would would adopt this child. Sarah would take it away from her. Sarah would have control over the child. That's just the way it was done because she was a slave. She was a handmaiden. She was a second-tier wife. Now, it behooves us to be reminded that none of this, in God's eyes, was okay. I know that in the Old Testament, you had... Abraham, and you had Jacob, and you had David, and, and uh, many others who took multiple wives, uh, married multiple women as wives, and practiced polygamy, but it has always been against God's plan, and it always is a disaster when it occurs. You can see it all throughout the New Testament. Never do you see in the Bible a situation where there was more than one wife that you don't see conflict, that you don't see distress, that you don't see all kinds of problems that come with it. Because whenever we step outside of God's plan for us, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. That's just how it works. God's plan was always one man and one woman. Amen? Ever since he created Adam and Eve. And it was not Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. Amen? One man, one woman for life. So uh, Sarah, though, did what so many of us do in this situation. She's faced with an impossible situation, humanly speaking. And she thinks, I'm going to help God out. Have you ever thought that in your life? I'm going to help God out. God does not need our help to accomplish his purposes. In fact, often when we insert our help, we only make the matters worse, which is exactly what happened here. Now, Abraham and Sarah, true, they had waited for 11 years to have a son that God has promised them. Time was running out for them. They're getting ever older. They were too old to have children when God first gave them the promise. Now it's 11 years later, they're certainly too old to have children. So instead of trusting Him, they take matters in their own hands. Abraham had in front of him two women. And Abraham wanted a family. Now, he has to be using his human reasoning as he looks at the situation. He says, look, I know I'm an old man, but I can still have children. I'm still fertile. Hagar's a young woman. And she's fertile, and here is Sarah, and she's barren, who cannot have children. If I try to have a family through Sarah, then I'm going to have to rely on divine, supernatural grace. If I try to have a family through Hagar, now that's something I can do through my human ability. And guess which one he chose? Oh, so many times we make this bad choice. We try to achieve the promises that God gives us through our own human effort. In Galatians uh, 4, Paul addresses this this choice that Abraham had to save himself by grace or to save himself through works. Whether he would save himself through human ability or completely rely on supernatural grace. That's why Paul says in Galatians 4.22, for as it is written, that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondmaid woman was born after the flesh, but of the free woman born after the Spirit. What's Paul saying here? For you and me, Hagar and Sarah are symbols. Uh, Paul says they symbolize salvation by works and salvation by grace. But for Abraham, understand, they're not symbols, they're real women. They're standing in front of him. This is a real situation he finds himself in. He can either save himself on the basis of human effort or rely on God's miracle of grace. He made his choice. He went with Hagar. Because he decided to save himself, the results were tragic, distressful, full of pain and disaster. That's always the case. Now, Hagar becomes uh, a mother. And again, to remind you, this is not her choice. Hagar had no say in this matter. She is just a servant, a bondwoman. Imagine the situation she found herself in. But the God-given instinct of motherhood kicked in nevertheless because that's what happens uh, to mothers. It was at this time that she began to despise her mistress. Literally, the word despise means to make little or to see as little. So she started to see Sarah as less than her. Sarah comes to Abram and she's upset. Did you read it in our text this morning? Sarah comes to Abram and says, Hey, it's all your fault, buddy. Now, stop a second on that one. I can see Abram's response. Wait, 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 what? You told me to do this, and I followed your voice. What is going on here? Okay, I, had, I didn't find the answer in the book, so it's just, this is what happens. She said, it's all your fault. Look at what it says. Uh, the the, the uh, Lord judge between me and thee. It's like the note a young man got from his girlfriend. This is what it said. Dear John, I hope you're not still angry. I want to explain that I was really joking when I told you that I didn't mean what I said about reconsidering my decision to not change my mind. I really do mean that. Love, Jean. It's confusing sometimes. What she's saying here is, I'm angry. You have to feel for her. You have to see see the situation she's in. I'm angry and I have a right to be. In fact, she essentially says, God judged me that I'm not to blame. It is your fault. And what does Abraham do, the big sissy? It's not my department. She's your slave. Do what you want with her. Real man of God here, isn't he? Making some good, wise decisions. And we're told then that Sarah dealt hardly with her. This uh, word hardly means to afflict, to mishandle, to humiliate. What she did, we're not told. Uh, Maybe she beat her. Maybe she berated her, just humiliated her. But it was a very unpleasant circumstance. And the sad thing again is Hagar didn't ask for any of this. This only happened, it was Sarah's idea, Abraham fell in with the plot, and now they too, she's bearing the brunt of their bad choices. What an unfortunate situation. What happens to Hagar when she realizes she's going to have a child? I, I wonder, as I look at this story, is she happy about having a child? I mean, does she, she doesn't really have a say-so in it. Perhaps she is, possibly. Remember though, in that culture, it's more than just about the child though, it's about her. She's able to say, now I am somebody, I matter now, I have significance because I am bearing a child. Hagar has an inflated self-view of herself, and this is why she became sort of arrogant about it, and the Bible says she despised Sarah. But look at Sarah. You remember, children are her salvation. Children are her significance. What happens to her? She's utterly vulnerable now. She's completely defenseless because without children, she's nobody. And now you have her slave who thinks she's somebody, Sarah who thinks she's nobody, all because they're not able to have the things that they want. These women are victims of their culture. It's a sad situation they find themselves in. It was so bad that this pregnant woman, Hagar, fled out into the desert. Verse number 7, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. This woman had traveled fast, crossed Sinai, Sinai all the way into the wilderness of Shur. She was going back to Egypt, back to the world, back to a house of even more bondage than she left. She was going back to her pagan people and her pagan gods. But before it was too late, God's love stepped in. And notice how the angel of the Lord finds her and not the other way around. I love that. She's in desperate need. She is in a terrible situation. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord found her. This is yet one more picture of God's grace reaching out to those in need. So when the angel asks her where she's going, Hagar blurts out, I flee from the face of my mistress. Surprisingly, it is kind of surprising, the angel sends her back into that situation. He says, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Now, why would she dare go home after Sarah so mistreated her? Well, uh, I don't know everything that's going through her mind, but obviously to some extent she believed she could trust God in spite of her circumstances. She concluded that God's goodness outweighed Sarah's cruelty. She trusted God. If he called her, then he would take care of her. Can I tell you today, friend, the safest place for any person, any Christian is right smack dab in the middle of God's will for your life no matter where that might be. Hey, She had no guarantees as how Sarah might treat her. Probably the, the abuse and the nasty comments would continue on and maybe they went on for years. It's, it's, uh, but it was safer for Hagar to be in an unpleasant situation in God's will than to be out on her own out of God's will. That's always true for us. Listen, friends, we never solve our problems by running away from them. Uh, they have to be dealt with and faced head on. Uh, character and spiritual growth only come into our lives as we face our problems head on. I love the lesson here though in the desert. She's a maidservant. She's a nobody. She's a slave. Yet did God have time for a poor servant? Yes, he did. Did God care about a slave girl's baby? Yes, he did. Does the God of the universe care about little old you? Yes, he does. And he's proven that over and over. Well, time goes on. Hagar has her baby, and it's a boy. They named him Ishmael. I can only imagine the tension and the conflict in this home. The boy grows, and Abraham loves him dearly. But now, if you want to turn over to chapter 21, and we'll look at some verses in there. We come to chapter 21, to the second scene of of Hagar and her family. Ishmael is now 14 years old, and something wonderful, yes, by the way, Abraham's 99 years old raising a teenager. Should we have a moment of silence for him right now? Amen. But something wonderful happens. Isaac is born. The child of promise. The one they'd been waiting for. I'm sure the world had not seen a more joyous father than Abraham who had waited a 100 years to have a child and uh, some 20 years after the promise of God came to him. And uh, he, I, I'm sure you, you could have seen, if you were able to have a trail cam here and see what was going on, you'd have seen a hundred-year-old man dancing a jig of joy, hugging everyone he sees. Friends come from far and congratulate him. God did it. God actually gave you a son, just like he said. Abraham might have responded, I know, I believe God. I, I tried to believe God, but to, to have it actually happen, to finally have a son, the joy that would bring. Off to one side... Stands a son he already has, watching this, and his mother with him. Imagine, along with me, the feelings that they must have been entertaining. She's filled with grief, with the realization that her contribution no longer matters. He, on the other hand, begins to be filled with bitterness and anger, knowing he's just been replaced. Two events are recorded in verse 8. One shows dependence and one shows development. First, when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. The rite of circumcision is not a pleasant one. It is a painful one. But it was the symbol of Abraham declaring himself dependent on the grace of God. This was a part of the covenant that God made with his people. So the second that we see then dependence, the second thing is when Isaac was weaned, Abraham gave a great feast. He wanted the world to know of Isaac's development. He's a growing little baby boy. He's now not uh, only drinking milk, but he's also ready for meat. Now look at verse number 9. We're in chapter 21. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. So we have a big brother making fun of and abusing his little brother. What kind of brother would do that? Only a person with no kids would ask that kind of question, amen? But I think we can understand the bitterness that's welling up in young Ishmael. And we have to agree, it's unfair. Hagar didn't ask for this. Ishmael didn't ask for this. They're the one, they were the product of somebody else's choices. And then when they simply played the natural role within those choices, now they're getting punished for it. Oh, what a sad situation. Ishmael is now about 16 years of age. The birth of Isaac revealed his true nature. He himself, Ishmael, had been circumcised about a year before this, but that did nothing to change his heart. A mere religious religious ritual will not change your heart, friend. And Sarah saw the whole thing. She saw the curl of Ishmael's lip, his sneering, and his mockery, and look what she says. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, not uh, even with Isaac. Think of that. She's the, it was her idea. It's not Hagar's fault. Now she says, this bondwoman's not going to have heir with my son. Well, this broke Abraham's heart. He loved Ishmael. But from the beginning, the relationship with Hagar had been a fleshly choice and a fleshly relationship and the flesh cannot inherit spiritual things. Now, I know this attitude that they had seems very harsh to us, but we see in Scripture that God took Sarah's side and declared that she was right. This is a hard lesson for Abraham, and it's a hard lesson for us to learn as well. We've already seen the fact that Ishmael represents the flesh. Isaac represents the spirit. And just as sin has been dealt with for us on the cross of Calvary, there has to come a time in our life when we deal with the flesh. The old nature, represented by Ishmael and Hagar, must forever be dethroned. The truth must be faced. That is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Romans seven eighteen. Uh, there's a lot we find endearing about the flesh, right? We love what the flesh loves. That's why we get in trouble all the time because the flesh does not like good things. Right? We all understand that? Pull up to a buffet and tell me if your flesh desires good things. Amen? Uh, they replace the chicken many more times than they replace the thing that holds the beets. All right? That's like filled in the morning and it stays full all day. Why? Because our flesh does not desire good things. And so there has to come a time in our life when we take rule of the flesh and we eliminate the desires of the flesh. God won't bless any of it. It must be cast out fully and forever. Ishmael, despite all the love his father had for him, was not of God. He was of the flesh. He would have to go. How sad this picture is. Doesn't make it any better for Hagar and Ishmael, uh, this poor mother and her son, suffering for the bad choices of others. It's a good reminder, friend, that you reap what you sow. The Bible says in Galatians 6-7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. But beyond that, the others that around you and those that you love, they'll, they'll reap from it as well, as we see here. There's nothing easy about casting out Hagar and Ishmael. The, you'll see here in chapter 21, this thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Dying to the world and the flesh is never pleasant. It's always painful. No doubt Abraham wept bitterly over this whole experience. But the Bible says he woke up early. He packed some bread and water and he sent them away. It's a tragic scene. It's heartbreaking. And it's not fair to this mother. Hagar was cast out. I can't imagine the bitter thoughts going through her mind about Abraham and Sarah. She had only done what they told her to do. And she's now suffering for it. Her heart had to be crushed. Being a mother is not always fun and games. Amen? Sometimes it can include much heartache and much pain. How thoughtless we are when we indulge the flesh, as Abraham did here. Ultimately, it was his decision, and he should have known better. But we indulge the flesh, it will hurt those that we love around us. And we so rarely consider the damage that's done in the lives of those around us. It's sad to realize that this scene in chapter 21, when Abraham sends them away, he'll never again see Ishmael alive as uh, that the Bible records anyway. Sarah and Hagar are forever fractured. They will never have a relationship or a friendship again. For as long as uh, far as we know, the only time Isaac and Ishmael ever saw each other again in their life was at the cave of Malpola when they buried Abraham in Genesis 25. Soon, as uh, back to our story here, soon after they were leaving here, they got themselves, uh, found themselves in serious trouble. Look at verse 15. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. But hallelujah, friends, behind the scenes, God was still at work. In His wonderful grace, He came to this desperate woman to minister to her personally. Now maybe today, I'm talking to a mother with a broken heart. All your plans and your expectations for your children have been shattered. Maybe you're experiencing a sick child, or a prodigal, or a fractured relationship with your child. You find yourself with no other recourse than what Hagar had here in verse 16 where it says she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. Let me encourage you today with the three words that verse 17 starts out with. When she's weeping her heart out, look at the first three words of verse 17. And God heard. Amen? And God heard. Oh, don't miss the preciousness of these words. At the lowest point of your grief, God hears. Isaiah 65, verse 24, and I will, it shall come to pass, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You know what that verse tells me? God is eager to answer your prayers. He is quick to hear your call. And he listened to this dejected, cast out woman. When you're at the end of your own hopes and all efforts you see is vain, God hears. What a blessing. In fact, the love of God is represented well in the love of a mother. The love of a mother is never exhausted. It never changes. It never tires. It endures through all. In good esteem and bad, in the face of the world's condemnation, a mother's love still lives on. And so God tells us in Isaiah 66, 13, As one whom his mother comforteth, so I comfort you. Jesus even compares his love to a mother hen as he grieves before Jerusalem. And Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. I'm reminded of a story relayed by Calvin Miller. There's a little girl whose mother's face was hideously scarred from an earlier injury. As the little girl grew and she made more friends and she uh, knew more people, her circle got a little bigger, she got more and more ashamed of her mother's horrid appearance. She would see the turned faces and the mothers taking the kids who were staring and turning them away as they stared at her mother, and it just embarrassed her more and more. She was more and more ashamed of her mom's appearance. So she found ways to avoid being with her mother in public. Eventually she married, moved to another town. Her lonely mother suffered financial setbacks and even hunger while her daughter continued to ignore her. One day the daughter found an old diary of her mother's and she saw in it a story of what happened when she was just a baby. It described a horrible fire that swept through their home. The mother rushed into a burning inferno Of a house, scooping up her daughter and and holding her in her arms, running out of that fire, but burning herself beyond belief in the process. The truth dawned on this girl. Her mother's horrific scars had come from saving her life. A new kind of shame, as you can expect, raced through her heart and soul. She went to her mother and threw her arms around now what appeared to her to be a most beautiful face. In tears, she expressed her gratitude for all that her mother had done. Oh, listen, friend, today, if you're privileged to be the recipient of a mother's love, be grateful. But of an even greater worth is the love of the Lord Himself and our Savior. He loved you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. Jesus Christ Himself has horrible scars to show of His great sacrifice for you and me. He too suffered mightily, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. So that you, now like Abraham, can make a choice. You can look at the situation and try to save yourself on the basis of human effort. And when you do that, friend, not only will you fail miserably, but it'll be, it'll be a continual attempt and a continual misery that continues on. Or you can rely on God's miracle of grace. This is the message that I have for mothers and fathers and everyone today. God hears you cry. What a blessing that was. Maybe you, like Hagar, feel like a second-tier mother. Maybe you feel like a second-tier person, but in God's eyes, friends, there's no such thing as second-tier. He hears. He hears the cries of the broken. He answers the prayers of the failures. And we see that no clearer than in this story of the second-tier mother with Hagar. May it be a blessing to you today. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know today how the Lord spoke to your heart specifically. Maybe you're a mother and this resonated with you on some level. Maybe you have a mother and have been not, uh, not as kind or not as understanding with her as you should be. At any rate, the altar is going to be open. And whatever God spoke to your heart about, would you let Him deal with this? She begins to play. You please stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed. I don't know what the Lord has for you today, friend, but would you not leave without settling it? Oh, how He has blessed us. Let's not take those things for granted.